Um, okay, Mark chapter 15, 1 to 15. Uh, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrections and had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what they usually did. He usually did. Do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed him Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Thanks, Dean. Keep that in front of you, but that will come up on the, the screen. Um, and let me pray for us as we come to consider this part of God's Word. Father, thank you for this Good Friday. Help uh, these words uh, to give us an understanding and sense of what's so special about this day. And Lord, fill our hearts uh, with not only understanding, but deep appreciation and faith in what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you the kind of person that gets really hooked on a dramatic story of someone being wrongfully accused or wrongfully convicted? Maybe you're watching a crime drama on TV and you just can't turn it off, or a thriller movie, or an unfolding real-life investigation. I tried really hard to find a light or even funny example of one of these things, and there are a few of them, but often they're actually really sad, aren't they? Miscarriages of justice, when something is really serious. Or maybe it's just the case that the stolen lunch in the office fridge doesn't rate a mention on a crime drama. But then I was chatting to Tara about this, and Tara reminded me of a miscarriage of justice that she suffered when she was in year six. See, her school principal came and confronted her in front of all her friends in the playground about why she'd started a Principal McDonald hate club. And he was adamant that she had. And when he investigated and when Tara looked completely stunned and didn't know what he was talking about, it turned out that one of the boys in Tara's class had completely fabricated the whole thing out of jealousy because Tara refused to have this guy as, a, as her, her boyfriend. <laughs> now, this is kind of where Jesus' trial starts, isn't it? With a, 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 a trial and a complete miscarriage of justice. And Pilate, who is the Roman governor, you read that and you know, he knows that he's dealing here with Jesus who is an innocent man. Verse 1 starts by telling us that the whole Sanhedrin had made plans to bring Jesus before Pilate. 
Pilate, as the Roman governor, was the only one with the power to execute. And so there's this agreement by all the Jewish leaders that he be handed over. Now, back in chapter 14, I'm just going to read a little bit so we get the background here. We've already seen what these guys, the Jewish leaders, what their beef is with him. It'll come up on the screen. Some of them, that is the Sanhedrin or the Jewish leaders, stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him saying, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand in the clouds of the mighty, sorry, the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. They claim that he's guilty of blasphemy. If that's a weird, strange word to you, it's claiming to be equal with God. Now, if you've been following along in Mark, and if you're visiting us today, this is actually, we've been looking at all the chapters of Mark all since the beginning of this year. If you've been following along in Mark, this is demonstrated time and time again to be the truth, that Jesus really is equal with God, that he really is the Son of God. You see it in his power. You see it in his character, in his compassionate nature. You see it in his patience and grace that he keeps showing to people. And the more it was demonstrated, the more it revealed that the religious leaders just didn't have the right understanding of who God was. They just got God wrong. Or as Mark keeps on commenting, they had very hard hearts. And so as Jesus comes before Pilate, Pilate asks him straight up, are you the king of the Jews? And all Jesus says is, you have said so. And at that point, the chief priests just unleash their accusations. And as they do, they're shouting at him, they're accusing him, they're they're calling him every name under the sun. And Jesus, well, Mark tells us he just stood there. He just stood there. Now, Pilate was completely puzzled at this. Look at verse 4 with me. Pilate again asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. And then in verse 5, it just tells us that Jesus made no reply and Pilate was just amazed. He was dumbfounded. Jesus just doesn't respond to the claims made against him. Now, he is completely innocent in every way. 
But we need to understand he has, he has the power to not only prove his innocence, but he could completely escape this if he wanted to. He could bring down judgment on those who are shouting him. But Jesus did something very, very different. He put aside his innocence. He put that aside. And we know that he did that because in putting aside his own innocence, he was preparing to take on our guilt. You see this vividly on display all around these verses. You see it in the hardness of people's hearts. Now, the the Jewish leaders, their hardness of heart is obvious. But also at the end of chapter 14, it's actually in verse 71 of chapter 14, you have Jesus' closest mate, well, he he began to call down curses on, on the crowd and he swears, I don't know this man Jesus that you're talking about. Even his closest mate, his heart hardens. Straight after this, as he's actually on the cross, there's a chorus of people with hard hearts that are mocking him. Everyone that was passing by, verse chapter 15, 29 tells us. The Jewish leaders, we're told about in chapter 15, 31, mocking him, hurling insults. And even the other criminals who were also being executed that day beside him, in verse 32, they're mocking him as well. Hard hearts everywhere as Jesus stands there and doesn't defend his innocence. Having a hard heart, that is the frequent expression of human sinfulness when you read Mark's Gospel. That's the thing that struck me the most in our study of it so far this year, is this hardness of heart, repeated, hard to truth, hardened. I I can see truth, but I'm, I'm I'm hard to it. Hardened by pridefulness, hardened by doubt, hardened by self-righteousness that somehow I believe that I've got it together. And so the hardness of a sinful heart is actually hard toward the God who created us. Hard toward God that, that created us to enjoy loving relationship with him like we just shared with the kids. That hardness is either going to lead to one of two things for people. Either to be completely rejected by God or to have a heart changed. And it's that heart change that Jesus announced, that Jesus called in the very first words that Jesus speaks, in, that Mark recorded back in chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus said... Got it on the screen, boys? 1.15. Let me read it for you. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Have a change of heart and a change of mind toward me. And yet, our sin clearly carries with it an injustice that we as humans are guilty of. To be hard to our creator, to be hard to the one that gave each of us life. And in our natural state, we are all guilty of this. You 
me and everyone. At this point, Jesus has told his disciples three times exactly where he was going, exactly what was going to happen to him. The third time is recorded in chapter 10, verse 33 and 34. We are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. As Jesus stood there, not defending himself, not pleading his innocence. Well, it was no surprise, it should have been no surprise that Jesus would find himself in this situation because it's where he went. And he went there because of the purpose that was tied up with it. And his own disciples still wrestled with Jesus, exposing their hard heart still wrestled with him showing them his grace, still wrestled as he encouraged them towards faith. And as all that went on, he gave them a very clear explanation of what his death was going to be about. Back in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a ransom, his death. It's paying a price. The price for a hard and sinful heart. And so as Jesus stood there and didn't defend his innocence, he had someone else in mind. Those of us who are guilty. Now, it's actually what plays out straight away, isn't it? If Jesus won't answer, Pilate, in his amazement, still has to deal with this situation in front of him. Jesus won't speak up. The leaders won't shut up. None of it's just going to disappear if he ignores it. And so we're introduced to this custom, this custom that at this time of Passover, a guilty person would be released to some kind of goodwill gesture to the people. Pilate had been approached by the crowd at this point to release someone. And so Pilate, having heard all the Jewish leaders' shouts and having heard Jesus' silence, he asked the crowd who he should release. And it's in verse 9. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? At this point, the Jewish leaders, they get around the crowd and they stir them up. And they stir them up to shout out the name Barabbas, the name of a man who is convicted as a murderer. Did I already mention what a hard heart looks like? The crowd cried out for the release of a murderer over the innocent man Jesus that stood there in front of them. They would rather a murderer free in their community than to front up to the hardness of their heart. It's the problem in all of us humans that we're persuadable in our hearts to call out, release Barabbas, let him go. And to cry out, crucify Jesus. And that's exactly how the crowd answers. What should I do with the king of the Jews? Crucify him, they shouted. And Pilate's unconvinced by this. What crime has he even committed? But they just shut him down and at the end of verse 14 they say, 
all the louder, crucify him. And so with all the evidence in front of him, Pilate too has a heart that is clearly hard. He's more concerned with just wanting to satisfy the crowd, wanting to please, please the people, and the swap happens. Jesus is taken in, condemned to be crucified, and the guilty man walks free. Now, the release of a prisoner, that wasn't even conditioned on someone else taking that place. But can you recognise the symbolism here? We all in our natural and sinful state have hearts that are hard. Be it like the crowds, be it like the religious leaders, be it like Pilate who's just kind of gutless. I mean, even if we were sitting here, someone actually guilty of murder. Yet Jesus was the one handed over. And he was handed over that we might be paid for. That in him we might see the one who is our substitute come to take our place. And that's what happens. In our place, Jesus goes. To the cross, Jesus goes. Now, it's not much mention, there's not much mention as Mark goes on to describe the crucifixion of the violence. Although it would have been awful. But rather, he describes it as Jesus is placed on that cross in a position where in our hardened sinfulness, where we deserve to be. And so in the midst of it all, Jesus cried out these words in verse 34, just a little later in the chapter. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went there for us. He stayed silent in front of Pilate that he might ever speak on our behalf to God and plead that he gives us his innocence. That he might speak up having paid the price for you and me and declare that we are forgiven. Watch this video. Good Friday. How can one describe such a day? The wrongdoing of all humanity putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it. Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. 
All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. The brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God, our sin and our debt, overcoming Jesus. Here is our king, obliterated. The enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. Behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old. The lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong. But now we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We'd almost believed there is a way of redemption. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization. The single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about Good Friday? Just one thing, that the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. How clearly we can see it is finished. The single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization. We can say that God is for us. Now we know better. There is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead, but now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. Heaven watched and saw it all, the naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control. All along, these were the plans firmly in the hands of God. Our sin drove the nails, our sin stopped his heart, and yet this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us. The bright light of our future all in one moment, bringing death to death by way of a cross. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity. How can one describe such a day? Good Friday.
Let's pray together. Lord, we just are in awe of your grace and sacrifice, Lord, that you would stand there and, Lord, wear the insults, wear the false accusations. Lord, that you would take the brutal punishment. Lord, that you would be separated, Lord, that we might never have to be. Lord, that every expression of the sinful human heart, Lord, that it would be laid bare on you and you would take it. Lord, that in it, your innocence might be given over to us, that it might be transferred to us, Lord, that you would become sin for us, Lord, that in you we might find righteousness and new life in you. Lord, thank you for that great reversal. Lord, not only of fate, but Lord, of hopelessness to hope. Lord, as we finish our time together today, as we take this long weekend, Lord, as it's filled with times with family and recreation and catching up on work and every other part, Lord, please, in all of it and above all of it, fill us, fill us, our, our, our hearts that are, that are renewed by you, Lord, with gratitude and thankfulness for what you did. And Father, grow us, transform us, Lord, that our, all of our lives might reflect and continue to reflect the goodness shown to us, the grace shown to us in the cross. And so, Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name that this is Good Friday. Amen.